Well, welcome again, and thank you, Amanda, and thank you, Terry, and thank you, all of our music folks and everyone making worship possible this morning. And thank you for being here this morning on Easter service as we look at the Easter story again in our traditional service. And this is part two. Part one was See Beyond the Stones, and this is He Still Moves Stones. We are again in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Solomon brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe either. Later, Jesus appeared to eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for the lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts and minds this morning. Well, as I said, we're looking at part two here, He Still Moves Stones. Heard the story, and I love it, about this uh, doctor and nurse and HMO executive who died and went to heaven. And, of course, there to greet them at heaven's gates was St. Peter. And so St. Peter goes to the doctor, and he says, well, tell me what you've done to get into heaven. And the doctor said, well, I've, I've served hundreds of people and helped to make them well and been kind and caring to all of them. And Peter looked at the doctor and said, good doctor, feel free to go into heaven's gates. Welcome. Then he turned to the nurse and said, well, what have you done to get into heaven? And she said, well, I've served with a good doctor, and I've served with him, assisting him and helping all the patients and been kind and caring to them. And Peter said, wonderful, go into heaven's gates, please. And then he turned to the HMO executive and said, what have you done to get into heaven? And the HMO executive said, well, listen, I'm in charge of health insurance for millions of people across the country, and we make it uh, affordable. And, uh, and St. Peter looked at him and said, well, Please come into heaven, but you can only stay two days. <laughs> Didn't actually happen, but it could. And some of you think it should. <laughs> well, happy Easter as we look at this incredible story in the Gospel of Mark. And as I said, we had sort of part one in the first service. I'll give you the Cliff's Note recap of that version. You can also listen online. But we looked at the story early this morning, by the way, and uh, it was a story of uh, Mary and Mary and Salome, who got up early while it was still dark, like my daughter and I and others did this morning, and uh, we were fortunate to stop at Duncan. So that was great that they were open, but they had no Duncan. And uh, while it was dark, they had the faith to head towards the tomb 
where they knew Jesus was buried. He had not been anointed with the funeral spices. And uh, while they were on the way, dawn broke. And, uh, and Mark lets us know that dawn broke. And you had to wonder as they were going about the conversation that they had, because they knew the stone had been rolled in front of the tomb to protect it. And uh, the leaders, the Roman leaders, had made sure that was done. In fact, put Roman guards in front of it to guard it. And as they were on the journey, we talked about seeing beyond the stone in our own lives, because many times the stone blocks our view and sometimes keeps us from taking that journey, maybe while it's still dark and dawn breaks and glorious light of our faith. And so we talked about the stones of fear in our lives, even as these women were afraid. And we talked about the stones of grief, and we talked about the stone of doubt. And sometimes we have to have the faith to see beyond those stones, even as these women did while the disciples were still sleeping. (laughs) Women, you can go ahead and nudge everyone, because it was the women who got up early in the morning while it was still dark and had the faith to go. But while they traveled, the light dawned and the stone was moved. We talked about how that the stone was moved not so Jesus could get out of the tomb. Jesus had no problem with stones at that moment. The stone was moved so that the women and the disciples could look in and see that it was empty. And that is a glorious moment. And so we continue with the story this morning. He still moves stones. And I want to talk about that because I want to focus on those three things again, which is the stone of fear and how God moves that into life. These women were afraid. We hear that a number of times in this moment because we know that the Roman guards uh, were, were fearless and they were afraid of the Roman guards and authorities. It was also nighttime when they left. You talk about three women walking in the middle of the night. They're just robbers and thieves, and so they were together, but there were still things to be afraid of. And then there's the fear of death itself. Uh, Jesus, the one they had followed, had died, had been crucified in a horrible, horrible manner, and all of their hopes and dreams had been dashed, and so they were full of, of fear. And it even says they were, they were trembling there. But in the glorious moment when the angel greets them and the, the stone is rolled aside and they look in, they hear those words, he is not here, he is risen, and everything changed. Now, that doesn't mean that in our own lives, for those of us who wrestle with the stone of grief and sometimes find it hard to see beyond the stone of grief, that we don't struggle with grief and with fear sometimes. With fear because we're afraid of so many things out in the world today. You read the newspaper, you wonder, you know, what's, what's happening sometimes in our world? We seem so polarized. There's so many things to be fearful of. But yet, when you hear the note, he is not here, he is risen, there's a peace that transcends all understanding that's there. And then there's that stone of grief. These women followed Jesus, uh, and uh, he was their rabbi, their teacher, their mentor, and Lord. And here in this moment, they were overcome with, with grief as they traveled. But notice that the darkness of grief, again, did not keep them from taking the trip. And on the trip, in the darkness of grief, night turns to day as the dawn of light and life opened, and the angel again said, he is not here, he is risen. And for those of you who have the stone in your life, and maybe it's fear, maybe it's grief, then in this moment you look at here and you realize that even though we struggle with fear, and even though we struggle with the darkness of grief and the stone of grief, that the stone is rolled away. We are separated for a time from our loved ones who go on to heaven's eternal home and the Lord of love who embraces them there. 
but it is not eternal. What is eternal is eternal life. The promise of eternal life that God has gone before us and we will one day be reunited. And Paul himself says, we grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And that is so, so important for us. And then there's the, the stone of, of doubt. <laughs> I think all of us struggle at one point in our life with the, the stone of doubt. And you hear that over and over and over and over in this passage this morning. And the women struggle with some doubt there. I, I love the, the phrase, and it says trembling, and it says bewildered. Now, <clears throat> I said earlier, and I'm going to say it again, I, I, that's one of the, I think, worst translations in the Bible right there when it says bewildered. The Greek word is actually estasis, ecstasis, okay? And so those guests right this morning, it actually is closer to ecstatic, right? Ecstatic, or you could say astonished. So they were ecstatic and astonished with wonder and amazement of what they saw. And that kind of wonder and amazement, even though we don't understand everything intellectually, we realize that the world has changed and our lives have changed because we do have hope eternal. And God has changed everything. We may not have all the answers. In fact, I assure you, if you think you've got all the answers, you probably need to talk to those closest to you because you don't. We never have all the answers in life. We do struggle with doubt. But sometimes that doubt helps us to come to a pure form of faith. St. John the Cross talked about the, the uh, dark night of the soul and a dark night he struggled with with uh, time of doubt when he thought his prayers weren't being answered. But the time he was very much an intellectual, and so there were some things that he was struggling with as well as all the the God issues in the universe and all the faith issues, but after the dark night of the soul came a greater light of faith. And many times in our own life, that's exactly the way it is. I mean, we do struggle with doubt. Now, for some of you who are in the university world, and I see some of you out there in the university world, and you might even pick up the newspaper and you say, when you look at this passage in Mark, that you look at after verse 9, it says that this is uh, not in some versions, which is true. It's not in some manuscripts. So, uh, and so some people will say, well, you know, there's Mark's gospel, and Mark ends there with the empty tomb and the women and the angels, right? And the command to go and tell the disciples in Galilee. And then, you know, Matthew comes along, and Matthew puts more of the birth narrative in there, because Mark doesn't have that, and it's sort of a kingly thing. And then Matthew adds more of the resurrection appearances, and then there's Luke, who adds even more resurrection appearances, and then finally you get to John, and, and you have this new creation world, and Jesus is the most divine, but also, may I add, the most human in the Gospel of John. And some people say, well, you know, it's just sort of an evolutionary thing, except they forget one really important detail. Mark, if Mark ends in verse 9 there, Mark ends with an empty tomb. And Mark wants you to know the tomb is empty. And Mark puts you exactly where all the disciples were who never saw Jesus. Mark himself may not have seen Jesus, but he traveled with Peter. So Mark puts you right where every other person in history was, struggling with an empty tomb with the word of the angels and the women who looked in to see an empty tomb and the message of hope, he is not here, he is risen. And that is all you need to know to change everything. Now later, you have this little addendum. Maybe Mark put it in there. 
maybe put part of Matthew in there, it's sort of a summary of everything, it doesn't really matter. Mark does not end with Jesus' crucifixion. Mark ends with the testimony that Jesus is risen by the angel. The tomb is empty. The stone is rolled away. And in our same time, our lives, we struggle with doubts. We don't know everything, just like Mark himself, who wasn't one of the original disciples, who traveled with Peter and Peter's testimony that we heard Amanda read earlier about the unperishable gift that we have at hope and the faith that changes everything in Peter's life where everything was changed, we too look into an empty tomb. In some sense, it's one of the most modern pieces of literature there is. Mark intends for that to change your life by the startling fact of an empty tomb with the stone that is rolled away. Sometimes in life, we just need to face our doubts, to look into an empty tomb and hear the voices of an angel saying, he is not here, he is risen. I love the story about the little town in Feldkirch, Austria. During the time when Napoleon's armies were sweeping through Europe, it looked like nothing could stop them, and they surrounded a little town of Feldkirch the night before Easter morning. Napoleon was probably unaware there was a night before Easter. That wasn't on his mind. Well, the church Leaders and the county leaders gathered together in the little church, which is where they always met in Feldkirche, and they met well in tonight. And they debated whether what they should do is go to Napoleon's armies and surrender, because they had no forces that could outnumber and outbattle Napoleon's army. And they debated well into what was just before dawn. And just before dawn, someone stood up and said, Listen, it's Easter morning. We don't have the armies to battle Napoleon. Let's do what we always do. Let's ring the bell and celebrate Easter. And so they all decided what they do is to ring the bell and celebrate Easter as they always did. Napoleon heard the bells of Felkircha and thought reinforcements were coming, and he broke camp and went away. The battle of Felkircha never happened because the people had the faith to ring the bell on Easter dawn. Today, you may be surrounded by all kinds of things that seem bigger than you. Maybe it's the stone of fear. Maybe it's the stone of grief. Maybe it's the stone of doubt. Whatever it is that's bigger than you and you feel is mightier than you, then ring the bell of Easter morning. Hear those words of the angel, he is not here, he is risen. And I love these words that are right after that. It says, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And notice the tense isn't he went ahead, it's he is going. It's like it's the continuous sense, right? He is going and will continue to go ahead of you. Whatever is ahead of you, whatever you think is bigger than you, is not bigger than Easter morning because he is going ahead of you and he will do just as he said he will. Those two promises along with he is not here as he is risen is the sum of Easter morning and the sum of the life-changing experience. I don't know if you're a fan of um, C.S. Lewis, any sci-fi people out there? Uh, yeah? All right. I love it. Uh, one of my favorite books, also movies, by the way, is Narnia and the Chronicles. One of us is The Witch and the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you're familiar with that. And I love it. There's a great uh, kids' movie out there, and it's wonderful, and I think they're remaking it again, which is fabulous, too. 
But it's a great story for Easter morning, and I'll just summarize it for you. The story is of these four kids who go in the shadow of World War II out the countryside to flee some of the persecution that's going on, and they go out to their grandfather's place, or one of the grandfather's places, and two of the characters, Edmund and Lucille, a boy and a girl, a couple of their friends, and they're in their grandfather's place, and it's a, one of these big old houses, you know, with rich with history, and in there they discover this wardrobe and some of their adventures, this wardrobe closet, you know, those old kinds of sort of armoire things with all kinds of costumes. And when they go inside the wardrobe, it opens into a world, a world that's uh, magical. And it's ruled by a witch. And the counterforce is a lion by the name of Aslan. Now, the witch is, is beautiful. Everyone is in awe of the witch and her beauty and her power. Uh, but she's frozen the whole land. And Aslan is this uh, incredible lion. Now, just to push pause for a moment, because what is the wardrobe? The wardrobe is that all of us get to choose in our own life the characters we play and who we want to be. So who do you want to be in life as we go through life and enter into the greater part of life? And so to pick up this story, this battle is going on. And this wicked witch rules this land. And, uh, and Narnia is frozen and Aslan wants to turn everything around, this incredible line with this huge mane. But at one point, the witch kidnaps Edmund. And so the young boy is in her grips. And people didn't realize what's happened, but before they realize what's happening, they realize that the lion by the name of Aslan, whom they had all their hopes in, who would overthrow this witch and all the evil that she's doing despite of her beauty and her power, and he has surrendered his life to the witch so that she will give up Edmund. And that's the deal. And so Edmund is set free. The lion Aslan is put on this huge stone. And on the huge stone, his mane is shaved. And it was, the mane was a symbol of pride and power and great humility. He's shaved and he's killed. And the rock is split in half in that moment. And all seems lost in that moment. And so they go to sleep. The kids, the land is frozen, hope seems lost, all is dark, and everyone is grieving, full of fear, full of grief, full of doubt. But then comes Sunday morning, and all of a sudden they look outside, and the snow is, is beginning to, to melt, and the ice is beginning to melt, and so they go running, and they run, and as they run they see that Aslan the lion has grown his mane back and the stone that was broken is put back together and the witch is defeated. And Aslan the lion says this. He said, the rules of the world are that if one who is innocent surrenders their life, then time will go backwards and all will be healed. And the witch is defeated. Well, it's a story. It's a story of Christ who was the lion who became the lamb, who is ultimately the lion who defeats the evil of the world and universe. Many times our lives seem like the kids whose world seems lost by the power and maybe the beauty of culture that's all around us. Hope seems lost, but Christ comes Easter morning, surrenders his life in humility, 
as ransom for our own lives, that we might know God's forgiveness and God's grace, and all seems lost. But Easter morning, almost 2,000 years ago, it all changed when Christ arose. The rock that blocked the tomb was rolled aside, and we could see in and see the empty tomb, and all is healed if we simply accept God's love and grace. There is more work to be done, to be sure. There's lots of injustice yet in our world. There's lots of darkness in our world, but the battle has ultimately been won by the Lord of all. And you and I are on the side of the Christ, the lion who is the lamb who became the lion again, who has conquered all. Whatever it is that you think is too big for you to roll aside, maybe it is, but it's not too big for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I want to close with this last story, which I love. And the story is told of this young boy who lived up in a farm, like I grew up in Pennsylvania, and there's lots of great glacial rock deposits on the field. And the father told this boy to go out and to move one of these giant stones one day, and the boy went out there, and uh, he pushed it, and it was too big for him to push. And then he uh, tried tying a rope around it, and he tried pulling it, but it was too heavy to pull. And finally, he went and got a a hammer and, and did his best to hammer and break it up, but it was just too hard for that. And he was frustrated and felt so disappointed with himself. And so he went to his dad and said, listen, I've tried everything, and I can't, I can't move the stone. The father said, did you try everything? And he said, yeah, I, I tried pushing it. It's too big. And I tried tying a rope around it. It's too heavy to pull. And, and then finally, I tried a hammer and tried pounding on it and trying to break it up, but it's too hard. He said, I tried everything. But the father said, you didn't try everything. And the boy said, what do you mean? The father said, you didn't try everything because you didn't come to me and ask me to help you. Because if you did, I'd go and help you, and together we'd move the rock. And so that's exactly what they did. Father and son went out in the field, and together they moved the stone that was too large for the boy. Well, there's lots of stones in life for all of us this morning that are too big, too heavy, too hard to move. But they're not too big, too heavy, too hard for Christ who conquered all the first Easter morning to move. So whatever seems too big, remember that Christ has gone ahead into what is ahead of us and is bringing the promises that he promised to fruition. If you will surrender to Christ, Christ will help you to move it. And remember the words that change everything. He is not here. He is risen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for Easter morning as we celebrate your resurrection and your willingness to go to the cross, to become the Lamb of God, to pay the sacrifice for our sins and shortcomings, and to give us your love. Show us your love that is greater than anything, and then on that first Easter morning to rise to new life, that we know the power of the resurrection and the promise of eternal life. Lord, help us to realize that there is no stone that is so great, too big, too hard for us to move with your help. So we pray that we surrender our lives to you and through you become victors through all. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.